You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. I have with me on the phone Professor Tim Kendall, who's a consultant psychiatrist, as well as director of the National Collaborating Centre for Mental Health at the Royal College of Psychiatrists in London. Tim's here to discuss with us newly launched NICE guidelines on the recognition and management of psychosis and schizophrenia in children and young people. Tim is also co-author of a new BMJ research paper that's a systematic review and meta-analysis of early interventions to prevent psychosis. Tim, welcome to this BMJ podcast. Hello. Now, GPs often have difficulty trying to ascertain whether something is psychosis or not. And understandably, it's sometimes difficult too for children or young people to articulate what exactly they're experiencing. Do you have any tips for GPs on how to ascertain, how to gather this information? If, if they find themselves with a, a child or a young person, and it's almost always going to be a young person, who's complaining of strange experiences um, or their relatives say that their behavior has changed, in that context, I think it's absolutely reasonable to refer them as quickly as possible. I don't think there's any point in themselves conducting, you know, in-depth mental state examinations. Um, I, I think if their index of, of, of suspicion is, you know, moderate to high, I think they should they should send them in. I, and I, I do think it's a specialist who needs to make the assessment. Um, it's a complicated assessment, and as you say. I mean, there are a lot of adolescents who have quite strange experiences at times, particularly ideas of reference, that, that they are somehow very important. <laughs> um, that, that's not uncommon amongst adolescents. But this is a little, you know, a little more difficult to ascertain. You mentioned behavioural changes as well as possible hallucinations or, or delusions or some problem with the thought content that might... Um, raise one's antennae. You, uh, at, at, at one point, you also mention children that you think might be at risk. What do you mean by being at risk? When someone has a psychosis, typically they will be complaining of hallucinations and or delusions um, over several weeks. Um, and their, their families will be saying their behavior has, has changed very substantially. Um, it's, it's fairly obvious, I think, when it's a barn door case. However, when you've got people who are saying that they're plagued by some transient, short-lived, you know, matter of, you know, they're hearing voices every now and again, or um, they've got some strange ideas which keep coming into their mind that, you know, they seem very, very anxious, very wound up, and they've, you know, they've not been themselves, but there's no clear-cut changes those children are at high risk of developing a psychosis. Now, I think we need to do some more work on characterizing what, what exactly high risk means. As a working model at this point, when you've got young people who have transient, short-lived hallucinations, or they've got very high levels of anxiety and they've had changes in their behavior and they themselves are worried, if they're seeking help, treat them as if they were at high risk and get them seen quickly. Mm, yes, those sorts of symptoms should send off alarm bells in, in the GP's mind as well. Yeah. Now, if the young person or the child 
describe symptoms that raise concerns, or their parents or carers do, whom should we be referring to? They should be referred pretty quickly straight to, yeah, generally speaking, it would be into a CAMS service or into an early intervention service. Would you like to explain CAMS? Sorry, a, CA a CAMS service is a child and adolescent mental health service. Uh, but when there's psychosis, probably most of these young people with psychosis will go into an adult service but a particular one, an early intervention service. And what can be done for patients with possible psychosis? We probably need to be clear about what we mean by early intervention. There's early intervention when you've got an established psychosis, and in that, that context, an early intervention service, their prime function is to initiate uh, antipsychotic medication fairly quickly, at a, a low dose because they're often very sensitive to these drugs in their first episode um, and to engage with them and their family and undertake psychological treatments. Now there are two treatments which have benefit. One is family interventions um, and the prime effect of that is that it it reduces the likelihood that the child will relapse as well as having some improvement in symptoms. The other psychological treatment is cognitive behaviour therapy, specially adapted for psychosis. You can help alleviate quite a, a number of the symptoms um, and in the long run you can reduce the period of hospitalisation. So combining these two with antipsychotics, we've got quite good meta-analytic evidence that you significantly improve outcomes for the young person and reduced distress for the family. Okay, and this is where your study comes in, doesn't it? There, there was a Cochrane review just a couple of years ago which showed no clear evidence of benefit with some of these interventions. What does your new study add to this? Well, the second type of early intervention, which is slightly different to the one I've described, is uh, early intervention before the psychosis has got going. And if you follow them up, as far as we can tell, about a third, possibly 40% of them within three years will develop a psychosis. So what we've, what we've done uh, that's new for this particular piece of guidance is that we've looked at what's the evidence of different types of treatment approaches for children and young people with a possible psychosis, not an actual psychosis. Now, this is the first proper meta-analysis in this context. And what we've shown, the clearest evidence, is that actually antipsychotics don't seem to have any benefit at all in this context. This does upset what people have thought about in the past, that antipsychotics have been a mainstay in that context, and there's no real evidence of benefit. Now, the second thing that we've found is that there are some preliminary evidence that at 12 months and possibly also at 18 months after, after the start of treatment, cognitive behavior therapy looks like it has a positive effect. And it's the, the clearest area where it has a positive effect is that it reduces what we'd call the transition to psychosis. Um, now, if this turns out at three-year follow-up to be true, it is one of the more important findings really across the whole of our guidelines program because if you could prevent psychosis, 
the, the saving in misery to the individual and the cost to society would be substantial. And how does cognitive behavioural therapy for psychosis differ from that given for, say, depression or anxiety? Um, it, largely because you, you need to take the psychotic symptoms and treat them as if they were um, thoughts, effectively. So when someone hallucinates, you need to help them work with those hallucinations as if they were thoughts. But you need to take account of the fact that they're not experienced in quite the same way as thoughts. They're experienced as having an unusual power where thoughts don't. So you need to develop strategies to help deal with that. Uh, But essentially, it's still using a similar approach in looking at the interrelationships between emotion, thoughts, and behavior, and how you can modify those relationships. Okay, so that's very helpful. So just to summarize what you've told us about the evidence base for um, treating psychosis or possible psychosis in, in children and young people, the benefits for those with definite psychosis with um, antipsychotic uh, treatment therapy, pharmacological therapy, and CBT, those benefits are very clear. Um, for possible psychosis, though, where the diagnosis may be in doubt and there is a possibility that the person may progress to establish psychosis. Antipsychotics, antipsychotics don't help, but CBT may well do. Would that be a fair summary? I think that's a fair summary. And uh, it's also important to mention that antipsychotics have, uh, particularly in this age group, have quite severe side effects. So antipsychotics for possible psychosis, you would think were contraindicated. Right, yes, we, we mustn't forget some of the, the side effects, which can be quite distressing in, in their own right as well. Um, so a lot of people with psychosis, whether they're, they're young or old, do smoke rather heavily or take other substances. What are the concerns there? The guideline is, we, we, be, we were particularly concerned in those early phases that we, we do try and help the kids with um, smoking less. Now, you may not be able to do that straight away, but that you need to have smoking cessation uh, assistance uh, at the earliest opportunity. Now, once they start uh, taking antipsychotics, there is a, a, an additional physical health hazard, which is that a lot of the antipsychotics lead to uh, considerable weight gain. Um, and quite commonly... Um, will lead to a metabolic syndrome and that leads to not necessarily diabetes although it does lead to frank diabetes in about 10 or 11 percent of people for a number of these drugs but it also disturbs lipids so you get hyperlipidemia and so on now um, we need to monitor very carefully in the first few weeks uh, to make sure that we've we've we keep an eye on this because you can prevent some of the weight gain um, by making sure that people don't eat too much and so on. But you need to be monitoring it to be able to do that. And as I'm sure you can imagine, when a, a young person is in the throes of a psychosis, it's actually quite difficult doing this. So you need to be very sensitive and, and do it very carefully um, in a, as a collaborative way as possible. But it is key to start this early because once they start to gain weight 
or they develop diabetes, um, the likelihood of getting further physical health problems goes up. And we do know that now people with schizophrenia are dying much, much younger than other people are, largely because of these side effects. Yeah, and the guideline gives very clear advice on, on how to monitor side effects, uh, not only the physical ones such as these with measuring height, weight, waist circumference and pulse and blood pressure, but also blood glucose levels and blood lipids and prolactin and, and the um, other side effect of, of movement disorders, of course. Yes, and I think um, perhaps with the newer antipsychotics, uh, we've tended to focus less on the movement disorders, but they really shouldn't be forgotten. Around about 10 or 15% of people taking antipsychotics will develop movement disorders. Um, it's possibly more than that um, if you have higher doses. Um, and some of those movement disorders, of course, can be permanent. One of the things that we do clarify in the guideline is the role of primary care. And it's our view that once secondary care have stabilized a young person on medication and that they've done psychological treatments and, and so on, that once they're back with primary care, primary care physicians really should be keeping a, a close eye on the physical health Okay, so the, uh, GPs are, are definitely an integral part of management for these people. Tim, thank you for this very useful discussion on what clinicians and, and researchers can do to help children and young people with psychosis. A pleasure. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.